situation right now in your life where it seems chaotic, where it doesn't appear that it's going your way? What comes to mind? What is that situation? Maybe it's one that's been past. Maybe it's present. If it isn't past and present, it'll be future. Think about a time in your life when it seemed like you were doing all the stuff you're supposed to be doing, and yet it isn't unfolding and unpacking the way that you think it should unpack. Like you're pulling away and say, okay, God, I'm doing the stuff you told me to do, yet where are you? It's like, have you ever had those moments where it appeared as though God was silent? Like he was like on this other galaxy, like taking care of, of, of constellations. And meanwhile, you're down here on planet Earth going about business and being faithful. And, and your life seems to be crumbling around you. And it, it seems like God isn't there. It, it appears that he's like standing on the fringes and saying, hey, hold on a second, I'll be back in 10 years. There are those moments in our lives when it feels like, when it appears, when it seems that God is silent. Today's journey that we'll unpack in the book of Esther is kind of that picture. It's like all the chaos that you can potentially think of is taking place. And, and, and it seems like, like this story, like God isn't even there. In fact, the book of Esther, the name God never appears on the pages. Like you could go from front to back, chapters 1 through 10, and not one time, not one time does, does God's name even appear on the pages. Yet, our God is in complete sovereign control of our lives. You will see God at work even in the shadows and rarely in the limelight. However, his purpose will prevail. Love, hate, murder, beauty contests, extreme makers are just a piece of the puzzle of the story of Esther. Yes, God is at work even when it appears he is absent. And often he gives us that little reminder just at the right moment, like we're at our breaking point. And it's like God says, I just want to let you know, just, just hold on. Just, just, just hold on to me. I, I'm there. And it's like out of nowhere, he appears and just gives you a little snippet that he is alive and he is well in your life. It's kind of what the story of Esther is. Esther is just this orphan girl that's out doing her thing. She's a Jew and and Persia's in control, and she's kind of in, in, in nowhere. No one knows her. She's just this independent person. Her mother and father are dead, and she's just living out her faith. And then out of nowhere, God takes her and moves her into a position that, quite frankly, the odds for that happening were, were zero to a trillion. But God is at work because he's interested in our lives. And, and every so often, he lets us know that, hey, I'm here, and you're on a good track, and I just want to remind you of that. Recently, I was going through a, a time in, in, in my life, and, and it was uh, five or six weeks back, and it was one of those moments you say, okay, God, I just need to know that, that you're here. I just need to know, God, that, that, that this is what you want, and God, this is what, what you desire, and, and this is the thing that, that is hot on your radar, and this is what you uh, uh, really want to happen. And so I'm driving to the office, and I'm pulling into the parking lot right out here, and, and I look down at my phone, and it's, it's my cell phone, and I, I notice this number. It's not familiar. It's not in my contact list, so I'm not answering it. And it goes right to voicemail, and I see it's like from Nashville, Tennessee. It's like, I don't know anybody from Nashville. And so I let it go to voicemail. I went back in my office, and I sat down, and, and I began to to listen to this voicemail, and this guy on the other end, his name is Stephen Mansfield, and 
I know him from, because we read a book in our last chapter of Fight Club. So we ordered 400 books. It kind of puts us on the radar screen of Stephen Mansfield if you're an author. And the book was The Book of Manly Men. And it's a really good book. It's the same author who wrote a biography about George W. Bush and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he's well known in our world and he has a platform. He's, he walks around doing these, these conferences and seminars on men. And, and so he left this message on the other end of the phone. He said, hey, Jim, can you give me a call back? And, and so... I have no idea why Stephen Mansfield wants to talk to me. So I call him back. Long story is this. And as I'm communicating, I realized God was using this in my life to say, hey, Jim, stay at it. Hey, Jim, just continue on this path. Hey, Jim, this is, this is the direction I want you to stay on. And, and so I unpacked it. And, and the story, sweet and short of that, he said that he wanted me to go with him to appear on the Glenn Beck TV show to talk about men. And so as I was, I, was, I was thinking about this, Lord, why? What, what's the purpose for that? And so it's still unfolding. I don't know how to unpack. I've been talking to him. But even more to me, the most important thing that is God saying, Jim, stay at it. Continue to press after men. This is what I want you to do. Esther was kind of doing her thing, just being faithful as an orphan girl. And out of nowhere, God forces her, literally, against probably her will, to find herself in a palace with a bunch of Persians. Grab your Bibles and let me show what I'm talking about. And I'm going to show you this, that God is working even in the chaos of our lives. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. But turn to the book of Esther. You'll see Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. And turn to the book of Esther. And we're going to read chapter 1. And we're going to read the verse 12 verses of chapter 1. So turn there. And while you're grabbing that, people are grabbing Bible. stand with me and we'll read it together. Esther chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, and Job. Esther chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Let's read this together. Ready, read. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. At that time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and nobles in the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days in the enclosed garden of the king's palace. For all people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen, fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold. Stop there for a second. Couches of gold. Now this is lavish. And silver on mosaic pavement. A porphyry, and then it says marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold each one different from the other. And the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions. For the king instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, Mehum, Biztha, and Harbona, and Bigtha, and Abatha, and Sethar, and Carcass, and a whole bunch of other names, to bring before Queen Vashti, wearing royal crown, 
in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. You may have a seat. Right away, big setup. We have a setup here that there seems to be this chaos. Like, how can God be working? Like, how can we, we open a book that has all this going on and say, wow, this must be a great story. God's about to really do something in the midst of this mess. And then to know that not one time does the word God appear on the pages of the book of Esther. We'll see pride. We'll see power. We'll see alcohol can be lethal ingredients when taken to excess. We'll see men thinking on their own after being inebriated, intoxicated. We'll see a party that takes place after 180 days of men meeting in a summit. This was a Hugh Hefner party gathering at Trump Towers. How in the world could God ever work in the midst of that mess? All the dignitaries and leaders of the country during this time were summoned to meet and discuss the next campaign against Greece. What a scene this was. Persia ruled during this time. Jews, God's people, were in exile. In other words, they were hiding. They were nowhere to be seen. And the thought of Yahweh and Elohim and Jehovah ruling was was this small group of people hiding in exile. Yet there was this other group who worshipped idols and worshipped Satan, freely ruling. And now we have this picture where this king appears on the scene, bringing all the people to say, this is the next battle, this is the next campaign that we'll walk into. So at the end of these 180 days, as if that wasn't enough, it says that there's a party that lasted seven days. There was no restriction on drinking, so men were getting drunk, intoxicated, And just hanging out. Yet another part, it says that Vashti had women and they were meeting together. And then it says this in verse 10. Look again at verse 10. On the seventh day, when King Xerxes was high in spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs to bring before him Queen Vashti, wearing her royal crown, in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles. For she was lovely to look at. As I read this text, I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 1, where it says, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever they lead astray is not wise. There was no restrictions here. And now the king and his men are going to try to rule their country being intoxicated. And we know it's going to go south quickly. How in the world could God ever work in the midst of that? Is it possible for God to be working? And we'll see the lack of self-control take over in King Xerxes' life. Let me just preface everything by saying this. God can even use the poor choices of lost people to accomplish his will. He is in complete control of our universe. And sometimes you might think, Jim, I don't see that. Pastor Jim, when I look at our government, Pastor Jim, when I look at our world, when I look at what's taking place in third world countries, you can't tell me God is in control. And I say, oh, yes, he is. We must believe that. And we know that from scripture, that he is sovereignly in control, working out his plan. And hear me out. He has the final word on everything. So men are there. 
the king says this. He makes, a, he makes a command. He says this in verse 12 or verse 11. Bring before me Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown. I want to display her beauty to the people and nobles that are here. Verse 12. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti said, I'll be right there. No. Refuse to come. Then the king became what? What's the word? Furious and what? Burned with what? So he says this. Yes, anger. Thank you. He says this. He says, bring my wife out. If you read what historians say about this account, Herodias said this. He wanted his wife to come, not only wearing the crown, but wearing only the crown. He wanted to parade his wife who historians tell us, Herodias tells us this, that she was the most beautiful woman on planet Earth, and it says that he was the most handsome man on planet Earth. He wanted to parade his wife in front of all these drunken men and say, look at my lady, and she want nothing to do with that. Besides, the guys deserved, King Xerxes sought something for their hard work. They've been here for six months. Let's reward them. To look at a beautiful woman. But he forgot one huge thing about Persian law. Strangers were not supposed to look at Persian women. Xerxes wanted his wife to satisfy the cravings of some lust-filled friends. And if Jewish history is right, and I believe it is, when you study here about this account... They wanted her to appear and be nothing more than a piece of livestock that men could look at. The king was losing self-control. The text says that the queen said no, and now the king is furious and burning with anger. His pride was hurt. And all of a sudden he saw, if she says no, what will they say about me? And God is about to use this messy encounter to accomplish his amazing will. You see, Xerxes felt publicly humiliated and pride will be his ruin. And God is about to step into this mess and bring a deliverer. I wish right now, I wish, I wish right now you could see your life. I wish the way God does. I wish right now you could look into the chaos and the, and the complication and the mess. I wish somehow you could see what God sees when he sees your mess. But because behind the scenes of this mess of your life, God is moving people. God is moving doors. God is, God is exercising his sovereign control to, to make his purpose and his plans prevail. See, if we could see like God would see, we would, we would sleep better at night. We wouldn't be burning with anger and, and, and being overloaded with frustration. If you truly believe as a child of God that he works all things out for good to them that love him, then you could go to bed at night and sleep in peace. Because he is working all things out for good to them that love him. So this clash has occurred in the palace. King says, you do this. The queen says, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. And now he's burning with anger. God is going to use this lack of self-control to accomplish his will. God's will for your life is often revealed in the daily outworking of your life. What do I mean by that? Just keep plugging along. Keep doing what you're supposed to do because you're supposed to do it. 
And God is working. And you might not be seeing the fruits of all that labor and all that, 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 that obedience. But keep at it. Keep at it. Because there will come a day you'll see God rewarding that behavior. And meanwhile, over here in nowhere land was this little orphan girl whose mother and father had died. She would never go to the palace of a king. She was a Jew. She would never be invited. Meanwhile, God is working behind the scenes of her life after mom and dad had left her. And he's about to take this woman who thinks she has no hope to one day potentially be the queen of Persia. It's just too good. It's like the script is unbelievable. So we have a dilemma. He says, do it. She says, no. How can God work in the midst of that? Well, look what happens in verse 13. Verse 13 says this, since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king. You see the names here. And Memekin is the key one here. And then it says this in verse 15, according to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, he said, she has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Then Memekin replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but also against all the nobles and the peoples of all the provinces of King Xerxes. Then it says this, For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, and so they will despise their husbands and say, Hey, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Midian women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else was better than she. Then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. So you have Memekin here, probably a guy that struggled with his self-confidence. And so king goes to him and says, what should we do? He said, well, let's put an edict out there. Let's declare a law that says that when a husband or king speaks, you must do it. And if you don't do it, then the end of you. Here is a man that, that feared female disrespect to such a level that he may try to use brute force to get it. By the way, does that work for you husbands? Like you want your wife to respect you? Do you wake up every day and say, hey, you respect me. I'm the dude. I'm the man. How, how does that go in your house? Seriously, how would that go right now if you're looking away and say, you know, hey, here I am. You, everything I say, respect now. It just doesn't happen that way. Why Mimikin thought that somehow issuing this edict out across the land, that that would be the way. You see, he too was a pride-filled man. He too was in high spirits. He too wasn't using good judgment. And so you see this mess beginning to take place on the landscape of Persia. Vashti literally finds herself getting the boots. 
Remember, too, that sometimes we end up on the short end of the stick for doing the right thing. Let me just give just a truth that we all grapple with. Sometimes you can do everything that you seemingly are supposed to do. You can be doing all the right stuff. You can be checking off your boxes of obedience in God. You could be just saying, God, I've done this. God, I'm faithful. God, I'm honoring you. And sometimes you end up on the raw end of the deal. And it's real easy for us as Christians to say, that isn't fair. Let me tell you, sometimes life isn't fair. If you have a problem with that, go to the cross and ask if it was fair for Jesus to be there. But it doesn't stop us because, listen, God's not finished with our story. We only look at a moment of time. We look at like a three months of our life and say, where is God? Listen, that's just a snapshot. He is still working. He is in complete control. It might be messed up now, but it doesn't mean you bail out on God because he will work it out for good to them that love him and are called according to his will. And if you don't believe that, you will never rest at night well. So somehow you look at this mess and you think, how is that possible? God uses good and bad decisions and outcomes to deliver his will. Look again back at the text here. Look at verse 21. The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice. You bet they were. They can tell women what they want them to do, and if they don't, they're gone. So the king did as Memekin proposed. He sent dispatches to all the parts of the kingdom, to each province in his own script, and to each people in their own language, proclaiming that every man, look at this, should be ruler over his own household using his native tongue. The queen is booted for making a good moral decision. I'm not marching before those men, king. I'm not doing that. She gets booted out of the palace, and yet God is still at work. Do you realize this just from a historical perspective? You know where the mail system actually started? You know where the mail system that we use today and began with, we thought, the Pony Express? It actually began with King Xerxes. He began the mail system. And he had a mail system in place that he wrote this edict out, and it was delivered to every home in their language, and it was a script. And so when they went to the mailbox and opened it up, the women like, I don't like this, and the men were jumping up and down in the house. But it began with King Xerxes. Persia, meanwhile, during this time, is about ready to go to war against Greece. That's why they had this summit. The queen is gone. She's out of the house. In fact, in history, if you read Herodotus, he'll tell you this, that most likely she got the death penalty for for not obeying the king. How does that make sense? She did what was right, and yet she gets booted and most likely loses her life. The king gets railroaded by a power-hungry male. And meanwhile, the Jews are still in exile, but there's this little, young, beautiful woman called Esther that's living in this remote area who has an adopted father by the name of Mordecai who loves her. Her mother and father had died. She has no idea what's taking place here. She's just going about her work obeying God, and God is about to do something special in this woman's life. And I wonder right now, how many people in this room in the link across the world where God is working behind the scenes, you've been faithful, and he's about to promote you to a position that you never even dreamed about. 
See, when we are promoted, though, we rarely have an idea what God has in store. Like, think about the times you've been promoted in the workplace, the times you've been promoted in a, on an athletic field, the times you've been promoted with a voice, a time you've been promoted somewhere. We really don't know completely what that means. And, and if we remain faithful to God, God just continues to give you a voice, a platform. Chapter 2, so what happens? Queen's gone. There's an edict in the land. Men rule over your wives, but there's no queen in the palace. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered who? Who? Vashti. And what she had done and what he had decreed about her. There's some power from the language here. It's a past tense verb. And if you look at the language here, what he had decreed, literally, he tries to pass the blame to someone else. He's saying the blame should not be what he decreed, but those others who, who did this to her. She's gone, and Vashti is, is most likely dead. And he remembered what he had done. And by the way, the time between verse ch- chapter 1 And verse 22 in chapter 2 and verse 1 was four years later. Four years it took his anger to subside. We now realize through history in those four years from the end of the chapter, he lost the battle to Greece. He suffered a naval defeat to Salamis and was chased like a girl out of Platia. And he failed at marriage and he failed at war. And all of a sudden, he remembered what had happened to his wife, the queen, Vashti. Xerxes is feeling down, bitter and probably lonely. The battle didn't go as expected. And the law that was drawn up can't be changed because of once a royal decree is announced, it can't be changed. And then in verse 1, it says this. Look again. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he, what? What's the word? Remembered. In the Hebrew, in this context, it implies a note of compassion. Like if you could dig that and open it up, and I did, it, it has the idea that not only did he remember, but he felt compassion towards. And he felt regretful for the decision that he made with his wife. Isn't it amazing sometimes the decisions we can make in the moment of anger, intoxication, pride? Four years later, he's looking out across, and after losing these battles to Greece, he's sitting back and he's remembering, and he has a touch of compassion for this horrible decision that he made with his wife. And the text reflects that he regretted this. Xerxes is trying to move on. So what happens? Look next. Look in verse 2. Then the king's personal attendant proposed. In other words, they saw his, his, his sad heart. Let a search be made for a beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of this realm to bring all these beautiful women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hege, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. And let beauty treatments be given to them. Then yet let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of who? Vashti. This advice appealed to the king and he followed it. 
So what begins is this Miss America, Miss Persia contest. The people are sent out, and they're looking for all the beautiful women in Persia. And guess who was one of those women who happened to be a very attractive Jewish girl? They didn't know it. And she's out and about just living out her life as an orphan girl. And yet God has something else in store. And so they see her and they say, you must be part of this beauty contest. You see, the people saw that Xerxes was shaken and said, we must do something about this or he might not make it through this. And when the seemingly unshakable shakes were twice as shaken ourselves, they saw his grief and they said, we must do something about this. Every time I read this text, and I read it again over and over and over and over this week, I'm always reminded of Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In other words, remain faithful. Somehow Esther was remaining faithful as an orphan child. I don't know what she was doing, but somehow she gained the attention of God, and God knew that she was the woman that somehow would be thrown into this mess and this chaos to deliver the Jews. And, And so she remained faithful and worked hard at what she was doing during that time. So they send for all these women. Look at verse 5. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, who had been carried into exile by Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with the Jehoiakim, king of Judah. In other words, the Jews were in exile. Mordecai was part of that. Then verse 7 says, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. In other words, she was an orphan. Mom and dad were dead. This young woman who was also known as who? What's it say? Esther had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. Let me pause for a second, and lest we lose sight of this. Esther didn't go there because she wanted to. She was forced. She was taken to be part of all these beautiful women who would receive these beauty treatments, who who potentially become the next queen of Persia. It wasn't like she said, hey, I'll go. She probably went against her own will, yet she had to make a decision whether to do that. She was taken to, she was forced into this precarious beauty contest. And so she won the favor of Hegei. I mean, look again, read on with me. Look at, look at chapter 2 and verse 9. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Now just pause for a second if you're a lady in this room. Imagine every day of your life, 
seven ladies taking care of your hair, your toenails, your fingernails, your makeup, your food, and then receiving beauty treatments for a year. That's not so bad, is it? But why? Because this prideful king who was a Persian might select you. Can you see the disconnect for her? Can you see day after day if she's wondering, God, what are you doing? God, what's going to come of this? It doesn't make sense to me. But the text said she received favor from Hege. Why? Because God allowed it to happen. The favor that she got from him meant that he would take care of her. On one level, I'm saying, what are you doing there, Esther? But on another level, I'm saying, way to be a courageous Jewish girl. You see, I'm dealing with a dichotomy when I read this text. One, she should stand for her values and say, I'm a Jew, or she should wait and see how God might use her once she got in. On some level, I I, I find myself justifying the means, and on another level, I'm thinking, wow, God really must be up to something. See, God can take our messed up situations and he can place people in the right places right now in your mess that you haven't even thought about and you've been trying to control and work it out all by yourself and when we release it over to him, he begins to turn it into something that we could never even put together on our own. I wonder what was going through Esther's heart as she's walking through this time. How about her dad? Look at verse 10 of chapter 2. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. If she would have said she was a Jew, they would have probably killed her. But every day, it says, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther, his adopted orphan daughter, was and was What was happening to her? I think Mordecai had second thoughts here. But remember this, Grace, that no matter where you find yourself today, you and I are always the object of God's concern and love. So picture this dad. He's walking back and forth. He knows his daughter's in there, and he's thinking, Lord, help her. God, protect her. And day after day, he paced, as any father would do, wanting the best for his daughter and and thinking, I should have done something. I should have stopped it. Yet somehow, in the back of his recesses of his heart and mind, he knew that God was up and he was trusting God, trusting God with her life. And somehow, it wasn't what maybe he would have selected. But day after day, Mordecai the Jew, back and forth, praying to God. What are the odds? of a Jewish girl becoming the queen of Persia. I'm going to give you some context to that. The last two weeks, obviously, I was in Asia and Cambodia and Thailand. And we have some beautiful orphan girls that have been rescued, thanks to you. Beautiful. I mean, beautiful. Just inside and out. Sunday morning in Cambodia, two Sundays ago, I was sitting in this worship center with 10 orphan children's homes. And there's these house parents, and and one by one, each orphan home, I think there were five that day, came up and sang 
praise songs to God. I mean, you've never experienced worship till you see a rescued orphan kid singing praises to God. I just, I, I wept. I'm just, I was a, a blubbering mess to see what redemption could do. The last group up was our group. Or next to the last group up was our group. And they came up and they were so glad. It's like, our family's here. And we had our cameras out and our grins were like this big. And we're standing there, we're seated there. And they have Grace in Action blue Grace Community shirts on. And they're singing and they're dancing and we're grinning from ear to ear. And then this thought occurred to me. I wonder what will happen to our girls and our guys. So after the worship through singing, I was given a chance to preach to all these precious kids and leaders of our, that country. So I, I pulled out the Bible and I began to, to, to proclaim God's word through a translator. And then at the end of this, I prayed this prayer. Went something like this. Dear God, help them to see that they can be the, the next lawyers and doctors and dentists and teachers and, and welders and and artists and carpenters of their country. Help them to see, Lord, that you can elevate them and they can be the leaders of their country. God, help them to see that even the girls can become queen of their country. Then it hit me this week. They could. The odds of our, our Thailand girls or our Cambodian girls where in a country where it's so pagan that it's Buddhism that they worship anthills and give alms every day. That, that Christianity is, is barely 1% in their countries. And yet there's these Christian girls who were once orphaned, who have been rescued by Grace Community Church, that God could be setting them up to be the queens of their country. Why not? Why not? If you don't believe that can't happen, then we might as well throw the book of Esther out because that's what happened. So when I was reading this, I was thinking, well, I'll be the dad that paces and prays, Lord. (laughs) Bring them up. Let them be the queen of Cambodia. Let them be the queen of Thailand. Let them rule the country. Let them walk in. Maybe, God, you're setting up that country for our girls. Now, let me ask you, would that be cool or what? Come on, would that be cool or what? Meanwhile, Esther is trying to be the woman that God wants her to be. And it says this in chapter 2 and verse 12. Before a young woman's turn came to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments. That'd be really hard, wouldn't it, ladies? Prescribed for women, six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her, with her, from the harem to go to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there. In the morning, return to another part of the harem, to the care of Shashgaz, what a name, and the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubine. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summon her by name. Then verse 15. You want to see how God, what he's doing? When the turn came for who? Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted an orphaned girl, the daughter of his uncle, Abihail, to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Hege, who had favored her, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. 
And Esther won the favor of who? Who? Everyone who saw her. I wonder how. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther. Imagine that. More than to any of the other women. And she won his what? Favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head. And he made this orphan queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet. Esther's banquet. For all his nobles and officials, he proclaimed a holiday through the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Unheard of. How in the world would a Jew ever become a Persian queen? Because God said it would happen. And when you look at the circumstances of your life, God uses any and every means necessary to accomplish his will in our lives. Oh, is Xerxes in for a big surprise? I wish we just, let me just tell you the rest. You want to get five more hours? Let me tell you the rest. Come back the next couple weeks, I'll have to. But I'd love to go right to the end and say, let's take a look at his face right here. This was a huge blow for Persia, and they didn't even know it. He was about to be duped, and she's about to go from Baltic Avenue to Park Place and be queen. So what does that mean to us today? Here's what it means. Please, hold on. Hold on. Hold on when it seems like all hell has broken loose. Listen, don't take the reins and try to control it yourself. He's working in your marriage. He's working in your son's life. He sees you restless in bed at night, longing for companionship. He knows your debt is looming. He realizes that you're you're getting bad reports. He knows about your medical conditions. He sees the condition of your husband and his closeness to God. He sees the condition in your workplace. He knows that your mother and father abandoned you. He knows you cry yourself to sleep at night because you've lost a loved one. He understands how badly you long to get that career job. And he is working while you are waiting and living obediently. Please, God. Please, God. Please, God. Help us, God, in our waiting Help us, God, in our longing. Help us, God, in our sitting to rest and trust in you. God, you could be setting us up for something big to give you greater glory. I pray, God, that we don't blow it up by taking it into our own hands. God, I pray for our people today that there would be this longing to hold on, this longing to remain faithful, this longing to say God is at work even though it appears he is silent. Oh God, thank you for the promise of your word that every detail of our lives runs through your hands before we even awoke this morning. Please God, 
Give us a waiting, waiting spirit to trust you fully. In Jesus' name, amen.